In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Word who from the beginning was with God, and, and you are God. You have always been God. You are now our Lord and Savior and Redeemer. And you've called us all by name here. We believe that, that you've called each and every one of us to be on this retreat, that you're looking forward to this time to be with us, to love on us, to bless us, to affirm us, to show us your affection, to remind us of who we are, to affirm our true identity as daughters of the Father, sisters in Christ, So we thank you for all that you have done to get us here, and we thank you for all that you are going to do in these days. We thank you ahead of time for all that you are going to do in these days. We pray for the grace to be open to hearing your voice. We believe that you are the good shepherd, that we are your sheep, the sheep of your flock, and that we can hear your voice that you have indeed called us by name and that you continue to speak to us. You speak to us in personal ways, sometimes in ways that are only known to us. But certainly you speak to us in ways that we will understand, that will make sense to us. And we just want to affirm that now. We want to declare that now that God will speak to us and that we can hear his voice. So we thank you for that. And we just pray to be, to be generous here, to be, we pray for the, the gift of, of focus. We pray against any and all distractions here in the name of Jesus. I take authority in this room in the name of Jesus against any and all principalities and powers of darkness that you would all be gone in the name of Jesus and that angels and saints would come here and guard us and protect us and intercede for us, especially Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Lord, give our guardian angels special graces this week to intercede for us, to pray for us and with us. We invoke our patron saints and, and our, our special saints that we've become friends with over the years, especially St. Joseph and St. Therese, Padre Peel, John Paul II, Mother Teresa, Francis of Assisi, St. Anne here in the diocese, Blessed Solanus Casey, St. Peter and St. Paul, and of course, Mother Mary. And we crown you, Mary, the queen of our retreat and the queen of this meditation on creation. As we pray together, hail Mary, full of Holy grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou, thou among women, and blessed, and blessed is, is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, 
in following the spiritual exercises, at least loosely, let's just begin with what St. Ignatius would call the principle and foundation. So if you're looking for a title for this meditation or for this day, it's principle and foundation. So what is, or who is, better said, the principle of your life? Well, it's God. So the whole point of this day in the mind of St. Ignatius is to get rooted and grounded in who I am, in who made me, why God made me, why did God make me, and what are the consequences of that, you might say. What should I, what should be my response to that? Well, faith, certainly, but gratitude as well. Gratitude. And I, I love to reflect, you know, just think about this. How many Catholic women in the world right now are on a five-day retreat? Well, very, very few, right? So just let that fact speak to you right now. Let the historical context of what we're doing speak to you from the point of God's providence. How, how much he loves each and every one of you for him to have carved out this time to be here with you this week. How many Catholic women have ever been able to go on a five-day retreat? Think about the percentage, right? I'm sure it's less than like one-tenth of one percent. It's probably like one-millionth of one percent or something like that, right? So that phrase, you're one in a million, yeah. I mean, you're probably more like one in 100 million or something. I don't know. But it's, it's a very, very small percentage of Catholic women who have ever had a chance to do something like this. So that right there should make you feel kind of special. <laughs> Just think of all your family and colleagues and friends. Like, oh, you know, maybe you didn't tell too many people that you're here. But, you know, just think, when's the last time you heard of one of your friends or colleagues or family members making a retreat like this, right? It's just such a unique opportunity. So I think for that, we have to be very grateful. And it is a sign of God's predilection for you. Let it be a sign of God's predilection for you. That he, he knows you. These are the things we want to be going over here t- today, right? That God, God knows you intimately. He created you out of love because he didn't have to. He didn't have to create anything, but he chose to freely, willingly, lovingly. Just, just so that he could share his life with you. His life of love and communion and peace and joy. And we do have to face the fact that that got disrupted because of sin. But even when that was the case, God wouldn't let sin have the final word. 
I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we're definitely going to focus on the New Testament. But if it helps, you know, Psalm 139 is, is a classic when it comes to creation. That's where, you know, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. God, you, you knit me together. Or, you know, Jeremiah, right? First chapter of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. All that applies to all of us, not just to Jeremiah. The word of God, living and active, speaking to you today. So I'm going to start with one I think we're all pretty familiar with. John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, his prologue as it's often referred to. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's just the first five verses there. But John just wanted to put it out there that this Jesus that I'm going to be writing about, he was in the beginning before anything else came to be. And through him, all things were made. Verse 9, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not, the Jewish people, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those verses say a lot too. Because it was God's decision, it was his choice to create you and to redeem you. To make you a child of God. So that verse 12, I think, is really a big one. But to all who received him, who believed in his name. So you've heard me say it, but the catechism states this, that our proper response to God's revelation is faith. We can't overlook that at the beginning of this retreat. What we're doing here in these days makes no sense, right? Without faith. So Lord, we believe, increase our faith. Help our unbelief. Faith is meant to be a response of your whole person, not just an intellectual assent, but a response of your mind, of your heart, and your soul, and your body to God's revelation, 
to the word made flesh. Christianity is a religion of revelation. The Jewish people were also uh, beneficiaries of God's revelation. So you could say they're our older brothers and sisters in the faith because they also had revelation from God. And they responded in faith. Now, to those who didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, well, they've got some more believing to do. (laughs) Many converted. We know that. But for us today as Christians, we can't lose sight of the fact that we always have to respond in faith. Each and every day, we have to renew our faith. Can't take it for granted. Because, as I said in the opening talk, we believe there's always more. There's more to believe. There's more to believe. God is infinite and eternal. There's the Holy Trinity, this great mystery that we can kind of understand, but not completely. And then just Jesus, God, made man, true God and true man sitting at the right hand of the Father, yet we believe he's also really, truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in that gold box in the chapel. Like, how's that work, right? Like, so we need to constantly be renewing our faith and that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, that God also is present in each and every one of us and knows all of our thoughts and our feelings, our needs, our desires, Right? So I think mean, awe and wonder, I think we have to allow ourselves too to be in awe and wonder of God and his creation. I mean, it looks pretty out there right now, doesn't it? With the fresh snowfall on the, the limbs of the trees. We might be getting sick of this because it is March 7th, but I think for the beginning of a retreat, it's very fitting. To see, it's like grace. If you want to think of the snowflakes, like grace, right? Don't they say that every snowflake is unique? No two snowflakes are unique. Well, perhaps we could say the same thing about grace, right? No two graces are the same. I mean, there's all kinds of grace, right? To summarize grace, we could say it's God's power and presence. So Christianity is also a religion of grace. You've heard me say that. What does that mean? That means that in our faith, we believe that God actually transmits his life to us. When we're baptized, when we are initiated into the life of Christ, what happens? It's not just some kind of pronouncement with words, but there's a sacrament. And what does that sacrament do? It actually, what do we believe about the sacraments, right? They actually transmit Right? The grace, the divine life into the soul of the believer. So at that moment, we became temples of God, sons and daughters of God. We received sanctifying grace, theologians call that. So God literally took up residence in our bodies. We became incorporated into the mystical body of Christ, right? I like to say that God the Father claimed us through the Son in the Spirit. He claimed us for himself. God, 
claimed us for himself, through himself and in himself. And I think what's important to take away from this day as well, Ignatius would agree, I hope, right? That, that notice how God is the one taking the initiative here over and over again. God is the protagonist. And again, our response is faith. I believe. If you were baptized as a baby, it was your parents and godparents who made that act of faith for you, just as some of you made those acts of faith for your children when they were baptized or for your godchildren. So as we mature, though, as you have matured, you've all had to make acts of faith. You wouldn't be here today if you hadn't made many acts of faith in your life. Well, today and throughout this week, we have to keep making those acts of faith and hope and love, for sure. Those theological virtues, you received those at baptism too. And they're called the theological virtues. Why? Because they allow us to relate to God. The theological virtues allow us to have a relationship with God, to grow in relationship with God. But again, God is the protagonist. God is the one acting on your behalf. I think that's really important because I think so often as most of us grew up, there was a lot of emphasis placed on what we had to do. Here are the Ten Commandments. Here are the precepts of the church. Here are your obligations as a Catholic. Here's what you have to do in order to, or so that, you can be saved or get to heaven. And so your religion was reduced, I think, in many cases, to just following a bunch of rules, checking off the boxes. And nothing could be farther from the truth, right? Because if, if we meditate on this and if we're reading it, God is more interested in your salvation than you are. Plain and simple. God is more interested in your life and in your salvation, in your happiness, than you are. What's the limiting factor in our relationship with God? We are. You know, who is the limiting, who is the limiting factor in your relationship with God? You are. Because who controls any relationship? The one who loves more or the one who loves less? Right? The one who loves less. Right? That's not a knock on you or on me. It's just reality. We're not God. <laughs> right? We have to be humble. That's another good grace to ask for this day. Right? The grace of humility, which is to live in reality, to just be in the truth. That's what it means to be humble. To just be in reality and, and to live in the truth. To be down to earth. The Latin word for earth you know, is where we get our word for humility. So that's why in English when we say that someone is down to earth, that's another way of saying that they're humble. They live in reality. We say get real, right? What does that mean? Get real, man. It's like wake up. Like don't be delusional. So 
God is always taking the initiative in our relationship. He's the one proposing. He's the one inviting. Think of it that way. God is inviting. God is proposing. Let's just keep going here for a minute. In chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Look at that. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father. John, the Baptist, bore witness to him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father has made him known, has revealed him. Beautiful. So from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. There it is. A religion of grace. God's power and presence and glory being poured out over and over and over again. At every mass, at every sacrament, at Every instant of prayer and praise and adoration, grace is flowing. We don't see it. We don't see it with the naked eye, but with faith, we perceive it. And then with the the interior senses that we all have. This week, you're going to know, maybe you've never really thought of that, interior senses. What are you talking about? Well, we all have, you know, the different exterior senses, sight, touch, smell, taste, but many spiritual writers talk about the corresponding interior senses so that we hear and we see with the eyes of the heart, with our imagination, with our conscience. Some of you feel grace in your bodies with tingling or warmth. Sometimes you feel it through emotions and you start to cry or laugh or just have the sense of peace come upon you or rest. Sometimes it's more intuitive, you might say. So your interior senses, Lord, please sharpen our interior senses this week. You're you're necessarily going to notice it because whenever you're in prolonged periods of silence, your interior senses become more acute. And there's fewer distractions, so you don't have to fight as much to to, to fight off the distractions. There's less noise. So you're necessarily going to hear God easier. So one of the reasons why Jesus came was precisely what it says here in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has made him known. So Jesus came 
to reveal to us the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and anyone to whom the, the Father wishes to reveal him. So, so Jesus has chosen to reveal to you the Father. Jesus has chosen to reveal to you the love of his Father. He wanted all of you to know the love of the Father. The perfect, unconditional, eternal love of the Father. And he would have done that John Paul II says in his Theology of the Body, Jesus would have become man even if there hadn't been sin. Even if there hadn't been original sin, even if there hadn't been a need for redemption, Jesus still would have become a man to show us the Father more fully. But he did it anyway with an added need on our, be, on our need, uh, you know, from our point of view, to be saved, to be redeemed. Let's jump to 2 Corinthians 5, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 11. In my Bible, it says the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to be proud of us so that you may be able to answer those who pride themselves on a man's position and not on his heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on. Caritas Christi urget nos. That's very popular in, in the Regnum Christi. You'll, you'll hear that. The love of Christ impels us. That's this verse here, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ urges us on, or it impels us. Because... We are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Again, Paul is emphasizing what God has done for us, what God has done for you. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Again, when you just pay attention to that little key, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ 
reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There it is again. For our sake, that's verse 21, for our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin on the cross, who knew no sin, committed no sin, was guilty of no sin. Why? So that we, in him, might become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness. You could also put justification in there. Sometimes you read about justification. How are we justified? How are we made right before God? We're not made right before God because of what we do. That's the point here, right? You don't make yourself right with God. God himself made you right with himself, through himself, and in himself because we couldn't do it. That's the point. We couldn't do it. And we can't do it. The only thing that enables us to do anything good is the grace of God. What did Jesus himself say? If you think I'm, you know, blaspheming up here, right? <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm speaking heresy, let's go to the words of Jesus himself, right? John chapter 15. I'm not mistaken. The vine and the branches, right? I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is John 15, 1. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I've spoken to you. See that again? How, how are you made clean? Not by what you've done, no, but, but what I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do it by ourselves. God doesn't expect us to do it by ourselves. But we've grown up with this thought that we have to do it. That we have to do this and we have to do that. That's heresy. 
you know, many of us, in a sense, were probably taught heresy growing up, not purposely, right? But just taking the gospel and turning it upside down. So I'm going to try to put it right side up for you in these five days to put it back the way it's supposed to be. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then, I love this, verse 11, 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God, so what is that? It's the Holy Spirit, right? What is the joy of Jesus? Well, it's the love that he shares between himself and the Father, which is to say the Holy Spirit, right? That's why he's sharing this with us. Let's go to uh, Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15. The supremacy of Christ. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Let's not forget about all those invisible things out there, right, that are real. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Those were all different types of angels that he was just naming there. The thrones, the dominions, the principalities and authorities, those are all choirs of angels. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. And you, who once were estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Again, look at this. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, the Father, provided that you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been preached to every creature under heaven, and I of which Paul became a minister. So even Jesus himself, the divine bridegroom, is going to present you, his bride, to his Father. And he's going to say, Father, look at how beautiful she is. I, I made her 
pure and holy. I made her pure and holy. How? By the blood of my cross. And I washed her clean, all of her sins forgiven, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I did that for her, and she believed it. And she allowed me, she allowed me to live in her, to live my life, my, my resurrected life through her, with her, and in her. So I got to do the works that I wanted to do through her, with her, and in her. That reminds me of one of my favorite verses from Ephesians chapter 2. And this will be the last one that I, that I share for now. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, let's start with verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then it, Paul even adds, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. I'm reading the word of God here, just in case you're wondering. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <coughs> like piece of cake, that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. You are all masterpieces. That's another beautiful thing to, to meditate on today. You are God's masterpiece. You are precious. He cherishes you. And you didn't do that. He did it. He made you. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should just walk in them with him, through him, in him. You just walk in them. I mean, this is something to keep in mind all throughout the week but it's the resurrected Jesus, the living Lord Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who now, by grace, wants to live his life through you, with you, and in you. Yes, of course. But as, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, right? <laughs> with Jesus, the divine bridegroom. And then come the works, right? Then come the fruits, But I think we want to put first things first. 
And when we do that, when we put first things first, namely our relationship, this grace of God, this favor of God, this initiative of God, then we don't get so worked up about everything that comes from that because it'll just flow from that. And yes, there's discernment, and yes, there's obstacles and challenges. There's spiritual battle, as we read in yesterday's gospel. You know, there is a real enemy out there who, who doesn't want us to, to live with Jesus and in Jesus and with Jesus. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, right? So we don't have to worry about that. So we'll leave it at that for now.